Good morning. It's nice to see all of you this morning. Hope your weekend is uh, wrapping up nicely. Uh, you know, when you think about weekend and you think about first day of the week, it doesn't leave much of a weekend, right? Uh, I asked someone, when is the weekend? Well, I guess Saturday, <laughs> because the Sunday is not the end of the week. It's the anyway. Good morning. If you've not done so already, please make sure you pick up a bulletin. There are a number of different announcements and uh, events coming up that we want to bring to your attention. Uh, the first you can see, uh, the first churchwide event, um, <coughs> the chili cook-off, uh, January 26th, which is in just a couple weeks, 6 p.m., and there are some instructions and some uh, so, uh, some guidance about what to bring and, and how that event will happen. So, so please take a look at that and be prepared to come and enjoy uh, some some hot and spicy chili, it looks like, uh, but then there also some some other kinds of chilies that will be available. Um, then on February 3rd, we're having our ministries fair, finding your place at sunset. And this will be an opportunity for you to be informed about the various things that are happening within our congregation, the various ministries, the various opportunities there are for service. Um, if you are a ministry leader or coordinator, uh, you can pick up your display boards in the office of Josefina Garcia, uh, our administrative assistant, uh, after the assembly. So you can pick that up, and then you can begin working on your displays. And then if you have any questions or concerns, please uh, let me know. Uh, but uh, but that's coming up, and we're, we're looking forward to that, excited about that. And we promise to be done in time so you get home and get the Super Bowl on the TV and uh, get to your Super Bowl party, because that also happens to be Super Bowl Sunday. So it'll just be a super day all the way around. I don't know if uh, you're much of a comic book fanatic. I, wa I read and uh, was involved in those for a few years. But this is Miracle Man. Uh, you've probably, unless you're really, really deep involved in, in this kind of uh, genre, uh, you, you've perhaps never heard of Miracle Man. He was a comic superhero in the 1950s. And, and interestingly enough, uh, some people suggest that he uh, is one of the more important figures within this world of comic book su superheroes because <coughs> Miracle Man was a conflicted individual. In real life, he had some real problems, and yet whenever he was transformed into this hero, then he was able to do only good things and could do no wrong. Well, unfortunately for his career as a comic book superhero, uh, uh, there were some legal battles, some copyright arguments, and uh, and he got pushed to the side after a couple uh, decades of, uh, of a good run, and uh, and now... Very few people know anything about him. Well, what's interesting is that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he is viewed as kind of like this miracle man, especially in the text that we're going to see today. What we saw last week <coughs> as we began the, the, the series in, in the Gospel of Mark uh, was some of the preparatory work. John the Baptist came preaching, Jesus was baptized, he was tempted in the desert, and then he called his first disciples, follow me. We talked about how these four fishermen made the decision to leave their jobs and their family and their life in order to follow Jesus. And Jesus calls them to himself, follow me. 
But at the same time, he calls them to live in community with one another. And now they form this band of brothers, as it were, that are going to follow Jesus around the countryside. And what we have in the Gospel of Mark is immediately following that, uh, Jesus goes on this whirlwind tour of preaching, casting out demons, healing people left and right. And one of the things that it created was a certain expectation that maybe this is the Messiah. Now, this is an ongoing question that lingers in the minds of the disciples and the people. Mark tells us at the very beginning that we know that we know who Jesus is. He's the son of God. But it's not until we get to the end part of chapter eight that the disciples finally get to that realization. So all of this material is building, uh, uh, building the tension to get to the point where the disciples finally recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And much like Miracle Man, one of the tensions is people have an idea of what the Messiah should look like, how he should act, what he should do. And God has a different idea of what the Messiah should really be about. And so as we read through some of these different narratives, the thing that Mark wants us to struggle with, and the thing that we want to consider is, who is this? Who can do something like this? Who acts like this? Who talks like this? This is unlike anything we've ever seen. And over and over, the response of the people will be something like, and they were amazed, and they were astonished, and their mouths dropped open, and they didn't know what to think because this was so outside their experience. Now, Jesus isn't coming to fulfill the political dreams of the people of Israel. He's not coming to fulfill the economic aspirations that people has. Jesus was coming to be the Messiah of God. And that purpose drives his mission. And that drives what he does and what he says. And all of these miracles, the five that we're going to see in today's text, help form a collage, a painting, a picture, a portrait of who the Messiah really is. He's much more than just a temporary cultural aberration in the Middle East. His program is not local. It's beyond global. It's cosmic. His program is eternal. And it gets to the heart of what we as humans struggle with. His enemies were not the Roman soldiers. His enemies were, even though they opposed him... His enemies were not the Jewish leaders, even though they opposed him. Jesus's true enemies that he was taking on as the Messiah, or what one author calls the trifecta of Satan, sin, and death. And he wanted to be God's Messiah. He didn't want to be the Israelite Messiah. He didn't want to be the Messiah for this group or that group. And so, in these verses that we'll read through, I just encourage you to kind of keep these questions in the back of your mind. The familiarity with the text 
doesn't help sometimes because we're so familiar. Oh, yeah, Jesus healed those people. Uh, we, we lose the impact and the amazement and the audacity of what he was doing. So we're going to read through. And if you have your uh, device, you can pull it up beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. If you have a Bible, you can turn there or you can read along with me. Uh, these texts will be coming from the New Living Translation. So beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, we read, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, and these temporal markers are important because we're going to see kind of what happens on this day. When the Sabbath day came, he went to the synagogue and began to teach. <coughs> the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What, what sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After this same day, Jesus left the synagogue with James and John and went to Simon and Andrew's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside. He took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus the whole town, it seemed, gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them, too. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. The man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. There will, that, this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. 
The man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out on the secluded places, out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later. The news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on the mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law and those who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your, man, uh, your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. Those are some pretty impressive stories that Mark has uh, uh, weaved together for us. Five different narratives about miracles that Jesus uh, uh, um, did in those early Weeks of, of his ministry. Uh, the, the first narrative was when he cleansed a man and cast out an, an evil spirit. Now, there are a lot of questions that these individual texts might bring up, but uh, we're going to focus on the bigger picture for today. It's interesting that the very first miracle that Jesus does with his own by his own power is to cast out a demon from an individual. I, I think part of the message as we look at the bigger picture is there's something going on beyond just making this person well. Beyond just trying to shut up a disturbed an individual. There's something going on spiritually in the beginning of this ministry. And, and then Jesus goes to Peter in -law's, uh, Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. Now this text isn't here so that we can indicate and prove that Peter had a wife. That's sometimes the primary function of this text in many people's uh, lives. But, but there's something else going on here. It's interesting that in the ancient world, fever was considered an illness in and of itself. It wasn't a symptom of an illness. It was an illness. And many people in the ancient world, and there's various texts in the Old Testament that indicate that if you had fever, it meant that this was some sort of fire from God. That's why you were burning up with fever, and that's why you felt so feverish. Uh, 
And Jesus, not fearing that this lady, assume an older woman, not fearing that she somehow was receiving the punishment of God, he touches her hand and helps her up and heals her. And then we have the gathering of the entire town. Uh, in, in, in scripture and in literature, hyperbole means when you exaggerate to make a point. It's not certain that the entire 100% of every single person living in that town showed up, but it seemed like the entire town was there. And Jesus heals many and casts out many demons. And if you were to try and mark the numbers on a chart or put them in an Excel spreadsheet like we do at Sunset, the leadership here, we would say, well, that was a pretty successful outing. Wouldn't you say that all things are going good? We just need to keep doing what we've been doing. Well, after this mass turnout of people, Jesus separates himself. He retreats to a place to pray. And then when the disciples find him the following morning, Jesus has some surprising words for them. He says, okay, we're moving. We're moving on. We're going to do something different. Now, if you try and put yourself in Peter's mind, in the minds of the disciples, I'm sure they were thinking, well, why are we leaving? You've achieved your purpose. You've got a successful ministry. Just think what we can do with all these people coming here. We've achieved the purpose for which you have come to heal people. And Jesus says, no, that's not really what I've come to do. The healing is part of a bigger picture. And Jesus says, what I've come to do is to preach the good news. To proclaim that God is now taking a very special interest on the people on earth. And through this preaching and proclamation and the work and the ministry that will be developed, people will begin to have an experience with God, something that he has desired all along. So the healing was not the primary purpose. Casting out demons was not the primary purpose. They were all part of this bigger purpose. And then the last uh, uh, healing of, uh, of, of, of this particular chapter is where Jesus heals a leper. Now, leprosy is not a very common disease in today's world, and it's very rare. I would venture to suggest that you've never met anyone with leprosy. It's possible. Because typically what happens to people with leprosy since it is such a contagious disease is they get isolated and sent to in the old days to an island out in the uh, South Pacific somewhere. But what's interesting is this man is not convinced that Jesus would want to heal him. What, what, what do you think might have happened in this individual's life for him to come to a rabbi, a teacher from God, a miracle worker, miracle man himself, and say, if you want, you can heal me. Why would there be a question? Because this individual, no doubt, had been told, God doesn't want to heal you. You are sick because you deserve to be sick. Leprosy was some sort of punishment. 
And even though we're some 2,000 years from this moment, I still meet people all the time who believe that their illness, that their situation, that their challenges in life are because God doesn't like them. And Jesus takes this on front front on. And he says, I am willing. And what we want to hear is that God is always willing. God is always yes to whatever my requests are. But scripture doesn't back up that idea. And if it were true, if you just think about it for a minute, every time we pray, if every time we prayed, God said, yes, who's driving the car? We are. Because we're deciding what's supposed to happen. And we're just expecting God to go along. But Jesus is moved by compassion. And he's moved to the point that he touches this man with this incredibly contagious disease. Do you remember when the flu outbreak occurred a couple years back? And in order to protect the congregation and protect visitors, we didn't serve the communion, the bread, the same way as we normally did. We used the little individual cups. Do you remember that? And do you remember that we didn't even encourage hugging and shaking of hands? Remember we were doing elbow bumps? (laughs) Because touching, hands-on contact make us vulnerable. I mean, our concern is some sort of contagion. In Jesus' day, the concern was impurity. This would taint you in the eyes of God. And so finding individuals who are willing to go beyond those barriers were just unheard of. You might have heard of a man, a priest named Father Damien. He was called the leper priest. In 1870... He went to one of the islands of the Hawaiian islands where lepers had been banished to. And he chose to live among them. He lived with corrupted bodies, the stench of rotting flesh, the rats and the flies, no running water. To fulfill what he felt was his priestly duty to let these individuals know that God had not forsaken them. He himself contracted the disease and died as a leper. The attitude toward leprosy in biblical times is not very different than our attitude towards different kinds of diseases today. I read of a doctor who treated AIDS patients. As he was writing, he confessed that when he began his treatment of a patient, He had the attitude that this disease was different than other diseases. And like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable in Luke 18, he thanked God he was not one of them. This doctor writes, I did not consider that this stigmatized man had had repented and had been forgiven while I was yet in my sins. In my heart, I approved of his suffering an inevitable death. And those attitudes didn't die with the first century. They continue 
And Jesus breaks that barrier to say, no, you are not a scourge on society. You are not to be outcast forever. I will bring you in. And then the last uh, uh, miracle is in the first part of John, uh, uh, Mark chapter 2 is the paralyzed man. It's a story that we've probably heard if you've gone to Bible school, uh, uh, perhaps even acted out the men carrying the paralyzed individual on uh, on a mat and then lowering him down through the roof. The most amazing thing is not that the owner of the house would be looking up his homeowner's policy to see, is this covered? Uh, <coughs> one individual suggests that this was actually Jesus' house when it says he was at home. That's an interesting thought. But the damage to the roof is not even mentioned. What, what's more ama amazing and uh, astounding is the fact that Jesus would look at this individual who was obviously physically compromised, and say, your sins are forgiven. Like, who's talking about sins here? We've got this guy who's paralyzed. Some of you like these reality shows where they do the fixer-uppers and things like that. They've gone through a number of different series. Well, well imagine there's this one fixer-upper show. And, and typically, you know, they don't just choose people randomly. They choose someone who's really deserving, who's had a tragic situation in life and deserving of a, of a change. And so let's say they uh, find a retired fireman with 10 adopted children who has left his job to minister to youth in the inner city and lives in a small shack with his wife and children and elderly grandmother, and he knew, needs a new house. All right, that's about as bad a situation as you could get right this guy is deserving so the whole neighborhood comes up and here comes the big rv and they pull up in front and 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 they're you know they're all ready to do the work and they got the bulldozers and they got the signs and they got everything ready and then the host grabs the microphone and right when they're ready to kick it off he says hey your sins are forgiven what if you track Nielsen ratings, that, that's the point at which the ratings take a nosedive. Who's talking about sins here? There's a guy getting needing, who needs to get healed. Well, like all of these narratives, there's something else going on beyond just, I say just, the healing. When Jesus heals this man from the unclean spirit, he is showing that he is Lord of all the spiritual world. You know, we even today, even though we might not believe in demons, we still kind of think that they're around. We say stuff, I don't know what got into you. What might have gotten into you? Well, an evil spirit. I don't know what's come over you. Well, something that's not you. And Jesus comes and the very first miracle says, I am Lord. And while he didn't invite the spirits to follow him, when he commands, the spirits obey. I spent some time thinking this week about this fact. Demons... Obey God better than I do. 
this no good for nothing demon, unclean spirit, when God speaks, the demon says, how high? And God tells me, and I say, yeah, not so much. Not today, maybe tomorrow. Demons are more obedient to God than me. And lest I throw myself on the cross, <laughs> than you. And that one, that one stuck with me for a little while. I have to process that. How in the world does that happen? How do I let that happen? So I've decided that I'm going to obey God better than those no good for nothing demons. But I still won't. When Peter, uh, 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 Peter's mother-in-law is healed, uh, we, we see not only Jesus' tender care, but, but I think what Mark wants to show is when you've been touched by God, the natural and correct response is serve other people. You know, that's kind of what we do with the whole blessed to be a blessing thing in the fall. We've received blessing and we want to bless others. It's kind of what we're doing on February 3rd with the ministries fair. We've been touched by God and we want to then help others receive the same grace and mercy and opportunity for service. Immediately after being healed, Peter's mother-in-law demonstrates the proper response, service to others. After the whole town shows up to be healed, Jesus, when he retreats to pray and then comes back, he announces that he's on the move and, and, and guides our thinking. We might have some mistaken ideas about Miracle Man. We think Jesus came to help me, but he has another agenda. And his agenda isn't about taking away all my pain. His agenda isn't about uh, 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 catering to my demands. His agenda is about showing that God's kingdom is breaking into this world and is in the process of being born. It is a process that will take the rest of our lives, most likely. And it might take some other generations. But eventually we will get to a point where that kingdom will fully exist and we can be a part of it. When he heals the leper, beyond the stigma of what it meant to have leprosy, Jesus, I think, is concerned about this man's life. But not his life as an individual, but his life with others. When you got the diagnosis of leprosy, what that meant was you didn't have a wife or a husband anymore. You didn't have children. You didn't have grandchildren. You didn't have a job. The only thing you had was an abandoned place outside the city, the town, where you did whatever you could to survive. And part of what it means to, the, to be the Messiah is to bring people back, not only in a place where they are well with themselves, not only in a place where, as we'll see with the last healing, well with God, but in a place where they are well with others, the community, the family. 
Because that's important for God. And then the last healing is when he heals the paralyzed man. We have needs that we're not even aware of. And Jesus' coming was to resolve those needs even before we knew we had them. Paul says that when we were still enemies of God, Jesus died for us. Before we even knew we would need a Savior, God had one ready. Because ultimately, that's what the Messiah does. To make us whole so that we can be a part of that family with God. So, as I look at this text, I realize that what I want is Jesus to be miracle man. At my beck and call, to meet my needs, to do what I want. To show up when I'm in danger, when I'm sick, when life is more than I can handle. I put up the signal in the sky and God comes running. And what we see in these early chapters is that God's role through Jesus is so much bigger and so much more than being a healer and miracle worker. He came to show the good news of God, to proclaim the good news of God, to lead us back into God's presence and to lead us into community. Now, what's going to have to take place in our life? What is the illness or the condition or the situation that we've got to resolve? Each of us has our own issues. It might be some sort of conflict. It might be some sort of habit. It might be a talk that we need to have with God where we just go at it. It might be making peace with a church or a group. Whatever the situation that's distancing us from God and from others, Jesus came to resolve. And Mark shows us this variety of different situations so that any of us in any situation can look and say, oh, yeah, that's what the Messiah does. He leads me back to God and to his people. If we can help you, if we can pray with you, if we can walk beside you as you deal with something that's just ugly and beyond what you're able to do, we'd be honored to do so. We're going to stand and sing, and if you would like us to pray for you today, you can come forward, and one of our shepherds, Cheryl, will pray. If you'd like to write down your prayer request, you can do so, and we'll begin praying. If it's something that you just want to resolve with God where you are, we invite you to do so. So let's stand and sing.